extend greetings to you this morning in the name of Jesus. I want to first of all thank Dwight for publicly for filling in for me last Sunday in short notice. I, I think it's the first time that ever happened in almost 40 years. The closest I, I think I experienced something like that was quite a number of years ago. I was teaching the youth class, and that was actually when we were meeting in Bible school yet, and I was probably partially through, and I, something came over me. I don't know what it was. I know the youth boys told me, they said, you, you looked as white as a sheet. So I dismissed them back to the uh, chapel and uh, headed to the dorm and stretched out. I don't remember. Do you remember that, Delvin? I was thinking maybe he might have been sitting with me as a little top. Uh, I remember taking him along to class at times anyway, sometimes. But uh, anyway, Lord uh, provided you with spiritual food just the same. This love is an ocean and its waves are reaching me is what you were just singing. And I don't know how much you thought about the words that you were singing, but God's love has reached you this morning. The thing that challenged me was you're going to be changed. You're going to be affected. And you know what happens when you're at the ocean and the waves, you know, they start moving you. They start changing you. And uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This is a verse I've been meditating on for, it was in my personal uh, verse for the day here a number of weeks back, and, and I, I just couldn't drop that verse. It, it, it got a hold of me, I guess. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And the question I ask myself, as I looked at that verse, as I thought about what that verse is talking about, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What would that person look like that has experienced the love of God shed abroad in their hearts? And uh, the question I said, so in everyday language, so what does that love look like in everyday shoe leather? And uh, so as I thought about that, I, I came up with the title of, of my meditation this morning is, So How Do My Shoes Look? And uh, I guess I'll do this. That is, this here is one of my favorite pair of shoes. And as you can probably tell, they've they're well past their, their lifetime. But I, I still I like them so good, I still keep them sitting in the garage. And if I'm going just to town to a hardware store, I'll, I'll jump in them because they're so comfortable. I remember the day I bought them shoes. They're probably almost 10 years old. And uh, I bought them as kind of a... They, this is not the first time they've been to church. Now, I'll say it's probably the worst they've looked at church ever. But I guess I'm the man with the vile Raymond. But... Uh, I like these shoes. I bought them at Red Wing, Minnesota. They're they're actually a Red Wing shoe. They're the Irish Setter. You can see the logo on the bottom on the sole. And I want these shoes to symbolize my love, God's love to me, my love to you know, as God's love is shed abroad in my heart. You know, it may look a little tattered at times. It may, but yet it needs to be authentic. It needs to have that genuine stamp on it. And I actually went back to buy a second pair. I liked them so good. And I actually bought them in the basement from the bargain cave uh, where they were liquidating things for a very reasonable price. So that was another good thing I liked about them. They were very reasonably priced. 
But when I went back to buy them, unfortunately, they, were, they did not have my size. And I'm not sure if they even had that style of shoe. So I, I was disappointed. I had to choose, make a different choice. And uh, so anyway, I still still miss that uh, the comfort of that uh, shoe, on, except on a few occasions. I, I didn't make it out of the house without my wife seeing me. And it wasn't until we jumped out here at the parking lot of church that she noticed my shoes. She said, what are you doing? <laughs> so she's, the disclaimer is she's not responsible for my actions here. Uh, I'll take full responsibility. I was going to put my outline on the board here, but Justin or Stephanie has uh, that so well written there. I think we'll leave that. I'm going to give you my outline here, first of all, so you can think about these different points of God's love. First of all, as I think of the, the title, How Do My Shoes Look? I want to look at God's love. And, and you think of, as we go through the sermon, as we go through the meditation, the scripture here this morning, we see how God's love is. And then I want you to think about how does my love pattern God's love. And you can think about you and I. Can I check that along with God? So I have four points this morning. The first one is God's love is, the, he gives us proof of it and the genuineness of it. That's the first point. The second is the measure of God's love, and it's unlimited. God's love is unlimited. And then thirdly is the continuance of God's love. It's durable. It lasts from everlasting to everlasting. And then fourth is the satisfaction of God's love. And, and the joy we get from experiencing God's love in our lives in sharing God's love with those that we come in contact with. So turning to uh, our text here again in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You know, God's love, as we think of the proof of God's love, the genuineness of God's love, God's love is made available to all of mankind kind in spite of, and then you can fill in the blank. God's love is made available to all mankind in spite of envy, hatred, selfishness, etc., etc., etc. God's love is made available to all mankind. It's there. He doesn't say, okay, under this condition, my love is not acceptable to you. And I ask myself, does the love that I express in my relationships have that genuineness of condition? Turn to uh, John 15, very familiar passage of Scripture, where it tells us, as, if I think of my love having the, the genuineness of God's love, I thought of this passage here in John 15. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through verse 16. And, and it, it, it explains to us how that if God's love is going to flow through our lives, we need something other than ourselves. We need an attachment to, and the par. And it, this, a lot of this ties into what we talked about in some of the, some of it in the Sunday school lesson, but it's focusing primarily on, on, uh, on the love aspect of God. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is with and it and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so that ye shall be my disciples. 
As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever, whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your, your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And I'll stop reading there. First of all, I like to notice the idea of fruitfulness mentioned there a number of times. Verse 2 and verse 5 and verse 8. God is looking for fruitfulness of, of love coming from you in my lives this morning. And he gives us the importance of verse, in verses 4 and verses 6 of abiding in it. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. And then down to uh, uh, verse 6 as well. If a man abide in me, he is, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them up. So the uses, the comparison of those two verses, the uselessness or the effectiveness compared to the, the, uh, the unusefulness. And again, it, the key is abiding in Christ. That's where we find the source to love as Christ loved. We cannot muster it up in our own strength. We need that attachment to the vine. Verse 9 tells us that God wants this love to be multiplied. As the Father hath loved me, the Father loved the Son, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And if you think of what uh, uh, Jesus, the expression of love that he gave, as we notice there in uh, the description of verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that literally. He laid down his life for you and I this morning even though we were unloving, unloving and, uh, and undesirable and sinful, God, Jesus was willing to make that investment in our lives this morning. Another thing that stood out to me is in verse 10, the, the uh, idea of keeping God's commandments is proof of our love. And, and that's, that's, a, that's an important thing to, to focus on. Keeping God's commandments is proof of our love for him. Verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. That's an indication. How do I find the commandments of God? Do I find, do I chafe under them? You know, we're talking about the law of liberty uh, this morning in the Sunday school class, and you know, the law of liberty is actually uh, the law of Christ. They're, they're synonymous. They mean the same thing. And if we are living in the law of liberty, or the law of liberty is, is our standard of conduct, we're actually living above the Old Testament law. We're doing it because of our relationship to, to Christ rather than because of da-da-da, this was written here, here. You know, they could do it without the heart expression in the Old Testament. But Jesus said that there's coming a time when that heart, that law would be written in our hearts. And that's, that's what it's talking about here in the New Testament. We do it because we want to, because of our love for him. As I thought of the, now we're talking, remember we're talking about mimicking, we're talking about 
uh, comparing our love to God's love, to Christ's love. And, and there's times we all we often come up short. But again, if God's love is reaching us, we're going to see that effect. That that waves as they 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 start carrying us deeper and deeper into the deeper water. We allow it to. And uh, the current. Verse 12, it says, uh, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 13 talks about the love that Jesus so much illustrated in his sacrifice of his life. Uh, can I keep this commandment? Uh, really, I don't have an option. I need to love you. I need to love the most unloving person in the world. Uh, we were talking about showing impartiality in the Sunday school lesson. And, you know, I need to love without partiality. I need to express God's love. I'd like you to think about, in conclusion of point one, proof of God's love. You know, when I struggle, and I'm talking to myself this morning, when I struggle to love others, we need to remember the simple fact that God loves me. And you think how unloving I am at times, how carnal I am at times, and yet God's love still reaches out to me. The second point, the measure of God's love. If you look at Romans back in our text there in Romans chapter 5, Paul writing to the Romans there, verses 7 and 8, says, For scarcely, as we think about measuring God's love, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But, notice verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's putting it in, in a real, true perspective. He's making a comparison to our logic, our human logic. Maybe I would die for a good man, but he says, God, Christ was willing to die even while we were yet sinners. The measure of God's love. John 15, verse 13, I mentioned that God, it's the ultimate expression. He sacrificed it. There's no greater love than that. No greater love than that. God gave his life for us. You know, we like unlimited cell phone minutes, data, whatever. We measure distance, inches, feet, yards, miles. We measure time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, etc. We like to, we like to get a grasp of things by measuring it. Um, so, uh, how do we, uh, how do we measure God's love? And uh, we sang about that in that song that Alan led, and I so much appreciated that. And I th- also had a copy here of The Love of God. And uh, again, another well-written hymn, and I'll, I'll not read it at this time, but uh, it's greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. So, uh, you know, it's my short meditation this morning is it's going to not make a dent in, in understanding or giving the length and the breadth and depth and height of God's love. And that's another thing I wanted to mention. But uh, Psalms 103, verse 17, Psalmist said, From everlasting to everlasting, God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. The question I ask myself as I thought about the measurement of God's love, what if God would withhold his love from us for one minute? What would happen? One minute. What would happen if God withheld his love from us for one minute? Would the sun stop shining? Would the earth quit rotating? I don't know. If God withhold his love from us for one minute, I think we'd be desperate people. I really think we would be. So in one sense, we we can't actually measure God's love because it's infinite. 
But you know, in another sense, we can get a little bit of a grasp of God's love. The way we measure by the same standard as anyone else's love. And that's by how much love is willing to give. You want to measure love? How much is love willing to give? We look at Jesus. He gave his life. And that gives us an understanding of the dimension of love that God gave. And I, I mentioned the length and the breadth and the depth and the height. And that's from Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 21. I should just turn to that. Those, those dimensions have always fascinated me. Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verses 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. So we are supposed to try and understand God's love, even though we can't. We need to be able to comprehend it with all saints. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height? And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now on him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. Now that's, you know, when you figure, we figure cubes in, in life, you know, length, breadth, and, and height. And, you know, this is four dimensions. And, and God's love, that's what it takes, four dimensions to measure, measure God's love. That has always challenged me. And then the exceedingly abundantly, throughout all ages, world without end. You know, and I, I need to, I need to conclude, even if God gave us the numbers of the measure of His love, could I understand it? Okay. Here it is. What would that number look like? So I said, what's the greatest number there is? Anybody know what the greatest number is? Okay. Googleplex. You're right. And, uh, Carl Sagan says, writing a Googleplex in full decimal form, would be physically impossible since doing so would require more than the space in the known universe. <laughs> so God's God's love this morning is greater than a Googleplex, if that gives you any clearer understanding of how big God's love is. It's bigger than a Googleplex. Well, that don't to me that's that, that doesn't amaze me because God created the universe. And how many universes are there? I don't know. But uh God's love is, is bigger than that. But you know, in my simple uh finite mind we are on a journey from earth to heaven all of us here this morning or to eternity and his love is enough to get me from a to b god's love that's how much god's love will be enabling me to get from a to b from earth to glory and we can trust that so as we think of the measure of God's love. Keep in mind, what if God withheld his love for one minute? And again, the inability to measure God's love. But yet, God asks us to try and comprehend that that dimension. Third point is the continuance of his love. And that's in verses in our text there in Romans 5, verses 9 and 10. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we... for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As I think about the uh, the continuance of God's love here, 
You know, our spiritual health this morning is revealed by the things that we get passionate about. That That's a fact. Uh, the things that I'm passionate about is the things that I'm going to talk about. And it reveals what's inside of me. Our spiritual, our spiritual health this morning is revealed by the things that we're, we're passionate about. The things that I'm talking about. You know, the scripture talks about it, That which comes out of our mouths. Um, I'd like to just turn back further here in Romans chapter 12. Reference was made to that. Uh, Romans 12 here earlier. I believe in the Sunday school or maybe. Uh, Romans 12, as we think about the continuance of God's love, I'd like to, uh, Romans 12, verse 11, as we think about, uh, it says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And the thought I want to pick out is that we're fervent in spirit. We're passionate about serving the Lord. We're passionate about doing that which is pleasing to Him. We're passionate about passing on the love of God, uh, fleshing it out in shoe leather. Uh, you know, where all have these shoes gone? Where, what have they done? And, uh, you know, putting God's love in shoe leather. And again, it may look a little tarnished, may look a little tattered at times, but maybe our love needs to look a little tattered. Maybe it ought to look a little more tattered, tattered sometime rather than polished black and brown or whatever color you happen to be wearing. Uh, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Uh, remember the question, what does our love, what does my love look like in shoe leather? What would people, how would other people describe it? If God's love is going to continue, it has to be through you and I. You and I need to be the channel through which that love is going to continue. Uh, God is looking. We looked at uh, John 15. God wants to allow his love to flow through the lives of his friends, his disciples, his children, his family. God's love will channel through that to those in the world around us. If God's love is going to continue, it needs to be channeled through you and I. Another, as we think about love, I, I thought about First John chapter 4, very familiar passage of scripture here again too. First uh, John chapter 4, I want to begin reading at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that is, everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed this, and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world." There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. 
the man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Very well uh, written thoughts, I believe, by the Apostle John here. And uh, it's a challenge. I was challenged as I meditated on those verses of a, uh, a minister's writing. Uh, of another denomination, as he shared his personal testimony, I was somewhat challenged and amused. And I'm going to just read it verbatim here. This man was a Methodist minister, rather, and uh, he was sharing from this portion of Scripture. And he said, The simple truth came home to me in a big way in the first church I served. I was a student pastor of the Prosper Methodist Church in Prosper, Texas just north of Dallas. It was a small church that had been served by seminar students for years. The folks at Prosper considered this their mission, to raise up young preachers. In fact, they delighted in having someone like me, who, when I got there, had preached a total of two sermons in my life. As far as they were concerned, the greener the better. They considered it a challenge to coax and to nurture beginning preachers into being respectable ministers of the word and the sacrament. The sanctuary of the Prosper Mennonite... Pardon me... <laughs> The sanctuary of the Prosper Methodist Church was a large red brick structure that sat high atop a limestone ridge running north and south. It was one of those old-fashioned churches with high ceilings, tall windows, and curved oak pews. The pulpit was in the center of a raised, rounded chancel, and overhead stood a large arch with a big block lettering that read, God is love. Those three words said in the context of my relationship to the congregation of the Prosper Methodist Church helped me to understand better the meaning of love. First, there was the unconditional nature of our relationship. No matter how bad the sermon on Sunday morning was, and I can tell you they heard some deuces, they weren't going to run off on us. Looking back, it's amazing how they were willing to put up with my immaturity and lack of experience. For the first full year, I was flying by the seat of my pants and had no idea what I was doing. It's a wonder nobody got hurt. They took it all in stride, and they'd say things like this. Now, that's a sermon I'll long remember. Preacher, you explained that passage in a way I never heard before. One of those days, one of these days, you're going to be a great preacher. And as Paul would say, they were patient and kind, and they endured all things. They never lost hope through it all. They gave far more than they received. We lived in the parsonage on the south side of the church. When folks dropped by, they came to the back door. It didn't matter whether or not we were at home. We... We'd drive up and find a small sack of groceries left for us in the steps. If it was something perishable, they'd put it in, the ki- in on the kitchen table or in the refrigerator. If the door happened to be locked, well, then they had a key. They loved us unconditionally. They lo- overlooked our faults and focused on our potential. They accepted what we had to offer with gratitude. They appreciated our meager efforts. And so when I think of what love is, I think of the folks at Prosper and what it means to be accepted and affirmed and valued, warts and all. That's not to say love is altogether soft and mushy. The folks at Prosper had certain expectations of their minister, and when you fell short, they'd tell you. For example, one of the older members was a self-imposed shut-in who lived a block from the church, and I say self-imposed because she did have the ability to get out and go places where she wanted to. For example, she never missed her appointment at the beauty shop, but for the most part, she preferred to operate out of the comfort of her home and have folks come to her. In particular, she expected her pastor to call on her once a week. As you might imagine, I felt sure I didn't drop by nearly as often or stay as nearly as long as she would have liked, and from that time... And from time to time, she let me know about it. She kept a journal of who came by and, and on what day and how long they stayed, and I was always in errors. 
I had some other church members who wanted me to attend school functions, drop by for cop, drop by the coffee shop, and in early morning hours make an appearance at their meetings. I did my best understand they weren't mean spirited or unforgiving. They just made it clear as to what their pastor should and shouldn't be doing. Well, call this tough love. Tough love is based on thoughts more than feelings, and object objectivity rather than subjectivity. It asks hard questions like, were you there? What have you done? What were you thinking? True, tough love holds others accountable. It requires them to take responsibility. It sets clear boundaries and it's often expressed itself in the negative rather than the positive. No, I won't do it for you. You'll have to figure it out for yourself. Love you, but the answer is no. The story is told of a young woman watching a butterfly trying to break free from its cocoon. She watched as the larva tore and stretched at the shell. It worked and worked, but succeeded in opening just a a slight terror. The poor creature was exhausted and seemed ready to die. A few moments later, it tried again, this time even harder, and the terror grew just slightly, but not enough yet for it to get out. She watched as it seemed to give up altogether. It just broke her heart to see this poor thing suffer, so with very good intention, she took a pair of surgical scissors and carefully snipped the wall of the cocoon, setting the larva free. She watched with pleasure as it popped out, stretched its colorful wings, but as it began to hobble around, she realized what she had done. The long and tearing struggle was part of the process by which the butterfly would develop the strength needed to fly. But making it easy to get out of the coon, she had crippled it for life. And I'll stop reading there, but uh, I like that parable at the end. You know, if you think of what love, the growth of love in our lives, you know, sometimes some struggles, some hard times, some tough times that makes and helps us to develop into what the love of God really is. <clears throat> You know, if God's love is going to continue, it needs to be inclusive and it will remove all barriers. I thought of the uh, Apostle Paul and Cornelius back in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. And I'll not take the time to turn back there. But you know, Paul was Paul was uh, challenged there as, as the Gentiles were brought into the circle of, of God's people. And uh, Cornelius had been instructed to uh, contact Paul there, and uh, and Paul was willing to do away with that barrier. And, uh, and when the evidence was given in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles, and uh, the continuance of God's love being spread abroad through the world. We shall be saved by God's life. And uh, his love to us. It's not just that he gave us love, but he gave us his life. And his life, which is what gives love power. Fourth point is the satisfaction of God's love. If you look at, uh, going back to our chapter there in Romans chapter 5 again. If you look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. Talking about the satisfaction. And if you look back at verse 5, it says, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. As I, I thought about satisfaction, uh, you know, the general, we, we all know it's a, it's a word we use. We like, we like to experience satisfaction, don't we? And so we know, we think we know what satisfaction means, but it's fulfillment of one's wishes or expectations or needs, uh, or the pleasure derived from that, uh, as you think of the legal 
uh, definition of satisfaction in our courts today. It would have the idea, or even in the in relation to our scripture text here, the payment of a debt or the fulfillment of an obligation or a claim. And if you want to put it in theology, it was Christ's atonement for our sin. So satisfaction, as that word here used in our text, in our scripture text here this morning, uh, you know, the general definition is that of experiencing, and actually the three can be tied together because if you think about experiencing forgiveness of sins, that's, that's satisfaction, true satisfaction. And then you think about the law aspect of it, you know, that's the payment of the debt that we could not pay. Don't matter how many years you lived, we could not pay that debt. And then the theology of the side of it is the fact that Christ's blood that he shed on Calvary made atonement for my sin. He paid that debt. He made the satisfaction of that claim that was I was guilty of. You know, the key to, to satisfaction in God's love is passing it on. You stop and think about that. The key to God's the satisfaction in God's love is, is passing that love on. God, I believe, is blessed. We are blessed, and those that receive God's love are blessed. And the challenge that I want to leave with you this morning is, am I doing that? I need to share it in a life of service, and that may be different things for different of us. Um, you stop and ask, God asks different things of us. There's a total commitment to what he wants from us. Um, but in the end, it's all about God. It's not my agenda. It's not your agenda. It's what God wants. That's the key. It's what God wants from my life. The deepest joys and satisfaction in life come from a relationship with God. And if you stop and think about it, we are created in his image. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we still are social beings and we receive uh, blessings from our fellow humankind by family and friends. But, you know, if my satisfaction is simply dependent on people, I'll probably be disappointed. But when my satisfaction is is dependent on God, I'll, I'll experience joy. I'll experience happiness. Knowing that I'm living God's will, knowing that I'm experiencing His love, knowing that I'm passing on that love to those that I come in contact with. So I don't know how you scored yourself this morning as you think of checking those four points off. Is my love... Do I give proof of it? Is it genuine? You know, I had to think about, I was going to mention this early on. I was looking for a counterfeit $100 bill that I used to have. But uh, I was going through Fleet Farm the other day, and uh, the fellow in front of me, the clerk, young fellow, went through his normal route, question routine. Well, you know, how are you going to be paying? You're going to, play with, you're going to be paying with the rewards cards today, Fleet Farm rewards cards today. And the guy said, no. And I forget, he had some more questions he asked him. And, Finally, the guy left him going. The, the customer laid out four $100 bills on the counter and some, I think it might have been a little extra small change in that. The bill was 400 and some dollars. Uh, it was boat seats, and I don't know what all he was buying, some fishing stuff. And, and uh, so he was paying cash, and the uh, you know what happens when the $100 bills lay out there with the clerk. Uh, he already had things bagged up, and he was going until he had laid the $100 bills, and then he was out the door, and the clerk was still taking his counterfeit detection pen marking the hundred dollar bills and i don't know what would have happened if they hadn't marked up true but uh talking about proof and genuineness you know he uh them counterfeit pens i, I read up a little bit on them. i was going to bring one along but i uh, i didn't have one so uh they will they aren't foolproof i guess but they will because of the uh the iodine solution in them they will catch the real fake ones 
but if it's printed on uh, paper that has uh, oh what is it that's in it in the regular money anyone know uh, almost seems to me it was uh, the counterfeit is usually printed on wood based paper and it'll turn black if with their counterfeit pen it'll, it's a okay it says uh, when it's applied to the fiber based paper so there's other fibers in it that will keep it its original color but uh, would my love stand up to that counterfeit pen would it be genuine would it be proof secondly how does my love measure up is it unlimited or do I have it okay this big that's about how much you get from me. I'm not giving you any more. What about the durability of it, the continuance? You know, we like things that last. These shoes here, I mean, I don't know how much longer they're going to go, but I, I'm sure I won't get them to church again. <laughs> what about the satisfaction of my love? Is it uh, something that uh, other people desire? Can I share it? Uh, do other people desire it? It's not my love, it's God's love that I'm sharing. God bless you, and again, may others see Christ living in us as we continue on our journey from earth to glory.